right, everybody. Welcome to the UMA 180 Win Podcast. We are so excited to have Adrian Gould Choquette joining us from Atticott Engineering in Sarasota, Florida. Adrian, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about your background and just what got you into the world of engineering and all that? Um, yeah. So my dad is an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and um, I guess just because I was good at math and science in high school, uh, we just, you know, it was kind of just the path was already carved. And so I just followed in his footsteps. It's been pretty nice because um, I have a built in mentor. So if I ever have any questions, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, clients will ask me some pretty sophisticated stuff. And if I don't have the answer, I say, oh, I have a technical resource that I reach out to. Let me reach out to them. I don't <laughs> always tell them it's my dad, but <laughs> so that's, that's, how I got started. Okay. So for your kids, do you see them going into engineering as well in the future? Um, I, they're both, both of them are, their minds are for engineering, but for some reason they are both <laughs> repelled by it. My husband is also a mechanical engineer, so I'm not sure. I'm, you know, they're, they're still um, carving that path forward. So we'll sure. see. It would be fun to have uh, four mechanical engineers <laughs> in the family. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would make doing Legos and, uh, you know, Tinker Toys pretty exciting around your house. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> so I think you had said before that you started in academia before you really got into um, running your own firm. Can you give us a little bit of the history with that? Yeah, so I actually um, didn't start in academia. I started uh, working for Lucent Technologies and Bell Labs um, in the semiconductor manufacturing industry. And I did that until I became a full-time mom. So I was able to take about 10 years off, um, be a full-time mom. And then when I came back into the workforce full-time is when I came back into academia. And I worked at the community college as a professor and also a program director of their emerging technologies. So I think that academia fits well for me, but I'd also say the state of community colleges um, these days is a pretty challenging one. And so I think you really have to have a love of education and being in that environment. And it, for me, the struggle was just not really worth it. They're stretched, they're, their wallets are stretched, their time is stretched. It's, um, it's a challenging field to be in. So uh, a couple of years after I was in the engineering field, I, um, in, in academics, uh, I sat for my professional engineering license. So when I was working for Lucent and Bell Labs, um, the engineering work I did didn't require a license. Mm -hmm. So I passed the PE exam and then it took me about kind of like still working at the college, trying to start my own business it took me probably about almost two years before I made the final switch to leave academia and start my business or be in business full-time so and that was probably at that moment it was probably not necessarily I was profitable but I just wasn't spending more than I was making on my business so it was it was kind of, a, I could see, okay, I can make a living off of this. So that's yeah. when I decided to make the switch. 
Well, the first thing you had to do was believe in yourself and your ability and know that you could get business and get repeat business and all those types of things. Whereas you, even if you didn't really like being in the community college sector, you at least knew it was steady and there were always going to be new students coming in. So right, that's exactly. got to be a big challenge for anybody really that wants to get into business is like, what, you know, do you believe in yourself? And obviously you had that, um, that ability to do that. It take, took me almost two years. Yeah. <laughs> to do that. But yeah, that was, yeah, it was, it's scary to make that leap. It's scary to go from having a paycheck to only getting paid when you, you know, when you've earned that job and completed the work. So that's, it's a scary jump. I don't recommend, um, jumping in with two feet. I, for me, it was like, as long as I still had the school, if that any failures or any slow progression didn't really hurt that much. It was just, you know, something I'm trying. And if it works, then this is going to be exciting. And if not, I still have my day job. So. Yeah. We actually heard something similar last week where someone suggested to a small business, you know, owner or somebody that wants to start a small business is you don't have to necessarily get into it full bore. You can kind of ease into it and Mm. pick up a client or do it a little bit part-time at first. So it's interesting to hear that same thing again. Um, So in your business, engineering is a pretty general term. So can you talk about the specifics of what you guys do compared to, you know, what I might think or other people might think when they hear engineering? I think of yeah. engineering and I think of people building bridges. That's just for whatever reason, the first thing. That yeah, comes that's, that's engineering. Uh, there, it's so varied. And so my degree is in mechanical engineering and my, that degree has taken me from um, being, doing facilities work at Lucent Technologies to doing research and development for Bell Labs for semiconductor manufacturing. But what I'm doing now is mechanical engineering in the HVAC, um, in the construction field, which is really related to HVAC design. So, uh, so for example, if you have a medical facility, their HVAC design is pretty complex because you have to make sure that the air is very clean in there and that the air flows from, you know, clean spaces to dirty spaces and not the other way around. Or, and, you know, if you're thinking about covid um, you don't want a COVID ward. You don't want that air to flow from the COVID ward out to the general population. It needs to go the other way to keep everybody safe. So it's, um, so it's HVA, that's HVAC design is what I'm doing now. Is, and that's, so that's interesting. So if you were say in a hospital, would you have a totally separate system for heating and cooling in, I don't know, the ICU compared to what you'd have in the rest of the hospital? Is that how that would generally work? Um, it's, you know, uh, it depends on what the space is classified as. So a surgery center is, you know, that air has to be very clean. So that air doesn't necessarily have to only cool that surgery center. Mm-hmm. It, could, um, it could cool the main purpose is to cool the surgery center, but then the excess air pushes out of the surgery center into the surrounding area. Mm-hmm. And... And then that's subsequently get cooled from the same system. So uh, if you've got contagious areas, um, again, that air is being pulled in. You need that air to be uh, in a negative capacity to the rest of the space. So uh, I would say if you have a contagious area, yeah, you probably want that on a separate system. You don't want any opportunity for cross-contamination. So it depends on what, what space you're talking about. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I would have never thought of that. I think of AC as this giant room with a huge air conditioner and it kind of hits the whole building. But yeah, in a case like this, there's got to be a lot of different variables and just the way it can all flow. As long as it's flowing in the right direction, you know, you can uh, you can reuse that cool air, but it it can't go backwards. That's interesting. I would have never really thought about that. I would imagine with heat and all, it's the same thing. Correct. Yep. I don't do much heat design. I mean, heat design for me is kind of like a second thought because I'm in Florida and Mm -hmm. we're always designing for cooling, but yeah, we do, we provide, we have to provide heating for every building um, that's occupied, but it's really secondary. (laughs) So if you were to look at say a number of different buildings or um, structures, what are some that you find more challenging? And then, you know, something just like a regular, say a three bedroom house, is that really a simple system? Like what would be the hierarchy of difficulty when you look through these things? Yeah, it's funny. Um, So if I get a job for a small office building, I'm always like, okay, this is, you know, this is cut and dry and there's, I know this is going to come in and leave my office pretty quickly, but there's always things like if the client wants it zoned, that makes it more complicated. So that means like uh, one office wants a temperature and another office may want another temperature Mm. um, and all with one system. So then it can start to get complicated if you throw in things like IT rooms that gets complicated. Um, Kind of the same thing on residential. Residential is probably the easiest, but there is also a lot of variables. We're limited by code to say um, uh, how many people we can design for be, for the energy codes. We can't say, you know, you know, it's a two-bedroom house. We're having 16 people in here. You can't, you can't design for that. The energy code doesn't allow that. But you do have real people that you're designing for. And if there really is going to be 16 people living in a two bedroom house, you really have to figure out how to design for that to keep everybody comfortable. So yeah, I would say there is a hierarchy. I would say probably residential is easiest. Um, then office space and then probably medical and industrial like manufacturing, manufacturing can get tricky if you've got hazardous uh, materials. That's kind of the same with like COVID. You want to make sure that the hazard um, one, one doesn't get caught in the system, but two doesn't, uh, doesn't get spread throughout the whole building. It's, you know, exits, the building is treated, um, appropriately. Yeah. My father-in-law actually helped build the San Onofre nuclear power plant. That's you know kind of here uh. near me. So he did the insulation, but I always thought that was kind of interesting. You know, it's just some guy building this, you know, giant nuclear power plant. So, you know, that would probably have a lot of, uh, a lot of these different restrictions, you know, like you're talking about. Yeah. It's things oh. that you, that you use every day and you just don't think about it, I guess, in, until you need to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we talked about this a little bit before, but you had mentioned about being a woman in engineering, you know, that seems um, maybe less common. So what's been the path for you and how has it maybe been different from some of your colleagues and what would be some of the challenges that you might have faced? And then do you still see those challenges? Obviously, there's a lot more women in engineering now than there probably were, you know, 10 years ago. And I think that number will obviously increase. Um, so what has been some of, or what have been some of the challenges that you've seen? And what are some of the ways that you're seeing those uh, fall away for the next generation coming up? Well, um, so the population of engineering students when I was uh, female engineering students, when I was an engineering student was just, it just almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, in my graduating class, I think there was three of us. 
um, just of the mechanical engineering group. So maybe there was 150 and there was three of us graduating. So, I mean, I guess it can, one, it can just be kind of lonely. Um, and I don't know if it's, I believe it's improving. I believe it's like baby steps. I think that there's probably a thought uh, for women who are good at math and science. There are probably other fields that they gravitate toward. Um, it just really sounds like a man's field. I'm not sure why. Um, for me, you know, for me, I love it. I'm able to, my, I talked about my dad being a mechanical engineer, but my mom's an artist. So, you know, there's a lot of drawing that goes along with engineering. So I just really feel like I can, I can explore like all parts of my mind in order, you know, to get the, to get a nice job out the door. Yeah. So, um, when I was in academia, one of the things that the community was always reaching out to me to do was to go to high schools and try to recruit young women into the field of engineering. And yeah, it was, it's, I think it's still a struggle. I don't know what it's like in colleges now, but I know that, you know, it was always, always something that we're working toward is to try to get more women in the field. Um, yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know how to overcome that. So now I just, you know, it's just me. It's, I'm a one person business. And so there's no, you know, in my office, there's no, like, there's no harassment or anything like that to worry about unless I'm harassing myself. And then, you know, but if, um, I forgot my train of thought. Okay. But if I go meet with, um, clients, it's, I think, you know, maybe a hundred percent of my clients are men. Some of the sports staff are women, but I think, yeah, I think a hundred percent of my clients are men. Yeah. So hmm. it's just, it's just how it is. You know, yeah. I just, yeah, it's not, I mean, it would probably be weird for me to have a female client. I love it, but it's, I haven't come across it. Maybe eventually you'll be your own female client as you're, you know, designing buildings and you bring some architecture into it or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so do you generally work with um, architects uh, or how, how does the flow work? So somebody says, I want to build this building. Like at what point in the process do you come in and start designing, you know, the, the um, heating and cooling system? So uh, I have really two, I, two, three types of clients, architects. Um, so they, they do the design. And then when it comes that moment, um, they have me come in and design HVAC, HVAC system to meet their airflow requirements, whether it be, no, you know, like um, critical environments or just the architecture, if they have some special architectural needs that they need something special design for that. But anyway, all um, permitted um, commercial work needs a PE stamp for HVAC. So, you know, even if it's just a simple job, they, my clients call me to do the mechanical design on that. And then I also have, um, I actually have a company. So I, and the other thing is I don't really meet my clients. My clients are all over the state. So uh, I, one of my main clients is in Miami and they are, I believe, strictly residential. And, um, they are mechanical contractors. So all they do is equipment change out some, I don't even think they do new builds. So, but just equipment change out. And in Miami, I guess they need permit for all their residential projects. So they permit me for all those jobs. And then there's the third one, which is kind of like the project owner. I have a, 
a restaurant, a chef that opening, you know, every couple of years opening a new restaurant and he will hire me to do that work and the mechanical HVAC design for it. Um, homeowners, that's one thing that I have, when I first started, anybody that called, I would do their work, you know, like just, you know, trying to make a dime, trying to get my business up off the ground. If I have a homeowner call me now, I, I refer them to somebody else. I don't do that. But yeah, I would say that's, that's my three types, like the, the, property owner, the um, contractor, or the architect. So will an architect generally send the bid out to multiple uh, engineers and, and kind of get different ideas? Like how much of, are, are you doing, how much is a creative process? Like, hey, I, this is going to have a certain, you know, design, is there a design element to it? Or do you just say this fits the code? Because you were talking about your artistic side. So no. I'm curious how much there's, of that really plays in. There's an infinite number of ways to do a design. There's like, you, you know, there's every time I do a design, I always give it to the client before final submission to say, do your design review. Like, does this, does this duct not going to work here for, is it going to interfere with something else? Or yeah, is that there's a million different ways to do things. And yeah, so there's a design review, but you asked, um, does the architect go out for bid? And I'm not sure. <laughs> so they they come to me. I have um, my group of clients um, are are pretty steady, you know. But I don't know if they might be going to other yeah. engineers to get quotes. It's possible. Well, let's assume they send it out to everybody, and you keep winning all these because of your, uh, yeah. your skill. <laughs> so with something like exposed duct work and that kind of thing, which seems to be very modern, you know, and, and people yeah. really like the industrial look, you know, in office buildings or other places, is that something that you actually incorporate into the design? Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, I've done that in offices. I've done it in restaurants. Yeah, people, you know, if, if you have to have this uh, functional feature, a lot of people want to have it also be um, aesthetically pleasing. So yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely, that's, you have to, you know, some of it's just cut and dry, just like, you know, the concealed ductwork that you'll never see, you know, there's nothing really special about that, but yeah, if it's exposed, that adds another element to the, to the design. And that's definitely something that you'd work with the architect and the, um, the, the building owner or the client to make okay. sure it's aesthetically what they're looking for. Well, that seems like it'd be something when you're talking to students, you could, you know, really bring up, hey, you've got a lot more than, um, you know, just this uh, engineering aspect to this job. You know, there is a lot of design and, you know, that yeah. could be things that would maybe interest people. I, I think that's kind of cool because I love that look, that industrial, mm -hmm. you know, look in, in buildings. So. Um, so tell me, how do you really incorporate new technology? I imagine you're pretty good with like a CAD machine and you can draw well and, you know, do drafting and all that kind of stuff. But what, how does new technology really help help your business? Um, so I would say I, I'm the one, I'm the type of person that loves when a new software update comes out, um, loves to try a new technology. But honestly, I don't really do too much of that. I look for it, but the field is so. I, maybe it's because my field is so limited. I'm just not finding a way to reach out and do that. And I have, um, obviously I have salesperson, uh, people come to me and say, Oh, try, try this new software, but it's never, I don't know. It's, it's maybe some, maybe a hole in the mechanical engineering field that I'm missing, but I'm not, I really don't, I'm not 
exploring new products that frequently. So you've just found like the tried and true software, or the tried and true programs that work for yeah. you. Yes. You know, that was one thing that I, I thought I wanted to talk about today was some of the, um, some of the tools like for any business owner starting out, some of the tools that have helped me. And so it's the software, like I have, like I, you know, I do like to look for new software. I mean, if something uh, presents itself to me, I definitely want to try it out. And so, um, Uma was one of the first things that, uh, that I invested in. And when I, I say invested, it wasn't a big investment because I started off with UMA residential. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty cheap. Um, but when I found, uh, well, I made the switch because, or I made the switch to the, to the business version of it because I started getting spam calls mm -hmm. just because my number was now on different websites and different places. Now I'm starting to get spam calls. And so I made the switch to Uma Business, and now I have like a pre-filter. So if you want to, if you want to call me, you either have to have my direct number, which is not advertised anywhere, or you have to put in my four-digit extension. Mm -hmm. And so a robocall cannot do that. They don't know what my extension is, and they're not, you know, nobody's plugging that in. Even like not even a robocall, like even if somebody is like, you know, a person phone soliciting. Um, they don't, if they don't know my extension, they're, they're going to go to my voicemail. So that's why those software, uh, uh, salespeople aren't getting through to you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. It's been, you know, it was getting to be overwhelming and, um, the, the phone, phone call interruptions, especially for when they were not related to business because my job can be at, at times can be pretty cerebral. And so if I'm, you know, working through a math problem and I'm halfway through and the phone rings with the phone solicitation, I had to go all the way back to the beginning to start to figure out what, you know, start that whole process again. So it has really been like one of my favorite investments. True. Cool. Truly. Quite the plug. So yeah. it sounds like, but I mean, your, your best asset in your company is yourself and your mind and your time. So, you know, anytime you can save time um, and apply yeah. that, whatever the job is that you're working on, that seems like it would be a big deal. So what advice would you give to someone who um, is kind of starting out any small business, not necessarily in engineering, okay. but if someone's starting out a small business, what would be some of the advice you would give them? You had said before, you don't have to get into it, you know, with both feet which is great advice, but is there anything else you might add to that? Yeah, absolutely. There was, um, I can't remember how I came across it, but there's the book called Good to Great. Mm -hmm. I don't even know who the author is, but anyway, it was, um, I read that book before I started um, in earnest working on my business and it was transformational. And basically what he says is that when you start your business, um, start your business as though you're starting it as though you have a hundred employees. And so my processes from day one, my processes, I try to make very simple. And even if they can't be simple, they are spelled out. And sometimes like I'll do, I'll do something, I, whatever it is, I'll do a task and I won't do that same task again for six or eight months. So even for me, when I go back to, I'm like, Oh, how, how did I do that? Mm -hmm. But I, once I start, I have it it's step by step. Everything I do is step by step. 
And so that was, um, that was a recommendation of some of that book, good to great. And, um, Another thing that I've done kind of to help me along those lines is uh, I have a lot of things automated. So I have, um, can I take you through my workflow? Sure. Okay. So I, uh, when I get a new job come in, I do a proposal in an online form. Can I say the name of the company? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's called JotForm. And I don't know if they're the best. Like I have been looking for other forms. Like that's, you know, something, I don't know if they're the best. So I'm looking for something different. I haven't found anything better. But when I do a proposal, I, I fill in all the information. A lot of it's already filled in for my clients that I have over and over again. So that's pretty quick. I also have in there like um, this client, I charge this per square foot or this client I charge uh, just this flat rate for the job very quickly for me to do a proposal. And then when I click submit on that form, I use another software called Zapier and it does, it is like a virtual assistant. It hmm. creates folders in, um, in my Google drive. It um, sends reminder emails in a week from now, like a follow-up email. It creates a task for me um, it creates a label. So once I have set up my, oh, it creates a form for a quality check. Mm-hmm. So once I have my proposal, it's like, like, honestly, it would probably take me another two hours to do all these other tasks. And it, they just happen automatically with the click of a button. Um, the other thing I do is also in that form I mentioned quickly was a quality check. My forte is not quality check. And so I kind of have to force myself with a step-by-step every job I do, I check, you know, is the address correct? Is the title correct? Because I've, you know, when I first started, I would submit a job and they, I'd have the wrong address on there. <laughs> That's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. That's a pretty embarrassing rejection to get. So every time I get a rejection that goes, you know, I never want to get that rejection again. So that goes in my quality check. Um, Yeah, I think so. I think that those are, you know, set up a system like maybe those don't work generally for all businesses, but set up a system where if you don't, if you want to pass your business off to somebody else, they can just jump in and start going. They don't need to relearn everything or refigure out everything. Right. Well, and it sounds like too, if you're thinking that you have a business that's got a hundred employees, when you do add that first employee, if they're going to flow right into the process really easily, because you've already basically set it up that way. Yeah. I think about it all the time. I'm trying, you know, what I try to do is um, put things in place to kind of delay that. So like Uma has helped me delay that. Zapier has helped me delay that. Just my processes have made the, um, the, business end of it more efficient mm-hmm. so I can focus on the, uh, the technical side of it. And when it gets to the point where I have too much work, then I can hire somebody for the technical part of it. And I still, I mean, I still don't have to hire somebody for the business. That stuff is just kind of taking care of itself. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, well, I got to tell you, I really enjoy talking to you, uh, today. There's a lot of interesting information. Um, so Adrian, Gould Showcat with Atticott Engineering. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. All right.